your wedding speech, mate, is going to be laden with insults. It's going to get to the point where it's just going to be going to put down the paper and just point at you. <laughs> when we finish, we're just we're hoping for total silence. Are you going to do the hamburger? <laughs> yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Cutthroat Island. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. Unfortunately, we don't have Austin here with us, so somebody else is just going to have to get two very different films confused with each other. <laughs> uh, but just like Cutthroat Island, there is no turning back for us as we prepare our weapons and summon the courage to put Cutthroat Island on trial. It wasn't a very good tagline this week. I, I most... think that works. <laughs> really? I like Seamless, it. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You should have gone with it. I was gonna say, it's the most generic tagline I think that we've had so far. But if you've never heard the show before, basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. But there's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans, including a caption contest, a quiz, some questionable impressions, some subpar xylophone playing, and a lot of banter. This week's film on trial, as I said before, is Cutthroat Island. Ahoy there, matey! (laughs) Nice. And just to say, this will be a particularly spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen the film yet, just save yourself the hassle, to be honest, and listen to this episode instead. Or, calm down, Dave, or you can pause this, go and watch it, and then come back. Or, alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz, this week brought to us by the delightful Alex, which we will highlight in the comments section below. Now, before we go on, uh, just to say that our last film on trial was The Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. I judged that trial and decided that it should be placed on the shit list. Controversial choice, apparently. I've since gone away and watched the film, so did I make the right call or not? To be honest, guys, I'm a bit undecided. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was a little long and repetitive when it came to showing Belfort's life of excess. Um, it, it probably should be on the hit list, definitely more so than The Meg or Tomorrow Never Dies anyway. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't feel the wave of guilt wash over me that I thought I would once I watched it. Um, but I, I think our, our good friends and fellow podcasters summed it up perfectly for me and what I was thinking. Um, th- so this is um, the contrarians saying that they love the moral slash amoral position that Scorsese takes. But the reason I think it belongs on the shit list is that the movie makes it point pretty quickly then hammers you with it for the next three hours which mm, is how i true. kind of i can i kind of felt when i was re-watching it to be mm. honest um so yeah just to say by the way check out the contrarians a really good podcast at yeah. contrarian prime on twitter as well um so with that in mind i once again put a poll up on twitter over the weekend and asked our friends and followers which list the wolf of wall street should be placed on the masses have massively gone against my decision with a humongous 70 <laughs> percent out of 46 votes i should say believing that it should be placed on the hit list so, I mean... That, that's not a landslide, though. You know, there is there is the argument to be had there, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I thought, because at one point it was 87% of mm. votes. So after I set up a few fake accounts and promoted <laughs> myself to bring it down. Um, but, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, you know, um, so apologies to anybody I may have offended with that verdict. But people are sent to crimes... Uh, so people are sent to jail for crimes they didn't commit all the time to be honest it, it happens you know like we are a, are a court you know this is a trial um, you know just look at the A-team so you know they got they... That's, that's a very confusing <laughs> that's an extremely confusing <laughs> the <laughs> if the A-team can be sent to prison and Jordan Belfort can avoid prosecution then I think the least we can do is put Wolf of Wall Street that's on the true. shit list <laughs> 
Anyway, apologies. I'm getting massively carried away with myself here. Um, so before we go on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of news. <laughs> Do anyone know what I'm doing? Islands so in the we stream. Yes. <laughs> All right. Islands in the stream, man. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't think of anything about pirates in the short amount of time that I had to prepare that. Um, so yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, guys, for the support there. By the way, I was. I was just sitting quietly and enjoying it. Oh, thanks, thanks, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> Can count on you. Um, okay, so here we just basically go around in a circle and talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. So, without further hesitation, another week and another potential reboot. As Chris Pratt is in talks to star in a remake of The Saint. Uh, stepping into the large shoes of Roger Moore or the wet slippers of Val Kilmer. Do we think that revisiting this character is, is a good idea? So, so, so Dave, essentially, do you think that the Saints has a place in 2018? Um, bearing in mind that another kind of famous 60s spy TV series in The Man From U.N.C.L.E. recently was adapted to a film and it didn't do so well. I think this can be adapted. The Man From U.N.C.L.E. was very much of the Cold War. You know, it was what it was. It was a, of its time. The Saint, he was taking down corrupt politicians and things like that. You know, that is... That is timeless, with regret. <laughs> Some things just don't change. So I, th- I think, yeah, if, you, if you're clever about it, if you modernise it, I think there's a market for it. And I think Chris Pratt is a good choice for Simon Templar. He's got that, that charm that Roger Moore had, you know, in the original TV series. The good looks of Val Kilmer. <laughs> Isn't it a little too close to James Bond, though, do you think? The same, the whole sort of thing. It's a little, I don't know, it's a suave man taking down criminals. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's quite similar. I think that... Without that the market, gadgets... Mm. Uh, but, uh, with with some nifty disguises instead of gadgets. It's impossible. I, d- I think I think it's already quite a crowded marketplace. Though. I think if you keep it lighthearted, though, I think it could be maybe you know keep it funny, keep it lighthearted. Which say. casting Chris Pratt would suggest yes. they, they might be going down that route. I'd also say the man from Uncle probably bomb because of Guy Ritchie rather than any you know what I mean and uh, Henry Cavill as well. Yeah, probably. And, and David Beckham making a very odd cameo. <laughs> well, was he in that one as well? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, God. he was like a sound technician with a Russian accent. Didn't work the first time. And did not work the second time. Did it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I, I read a very interesting fact about the same TV show. Apparently, all of the wardrobe that Roger Moore wore for the TV series was his own, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was quite funny. Really? It was essentially like an audition for Bond because he was asked twice exactly, while he was yeah. filming it to be James Bond. He had to turn it down because of you know his, his, his uh, schedule, the, the TV show. But as soon as it was finished, he was free to do the, the uh, Bond gig. But um, yeah, so maybe that will lead to Chris Pratt becoming the first American James Bond. Ooh. Oh, who knows, eh? Uh, So, yeah, moving on, uh, with the release of Bumblebee just over a month away, its director, Travis Knight, is being heavily linked with a sequel to another franchise, Guardians of the Galaxy. So Knight also directed Kubo and the Two Strings and has worked as an animator on films such as The Box Trolls and Paranorman. Joel, you are a massive Marvel fan. You really enjoyed the first two Guardians of the Galaxies, especially the second one, because Kate Russell was in it, I know. Um, do you think that it is a sensible call or would you like to see somebody else t- uh, take the reins? Bearing in mind when James Gunn was initially uh, announced, it was considered a bit of a risk. Um, it, well, I don't know. Like, it's got to the point now with Transformers is does anybody, you know, is anybody paying attention? At least a few people must be going to the cinema to watch them. Um, so making a Bumblebee film doesn't really, you know, fill me with confidence, especially mm. for... Uh, He's got large shoes to step into, hasn't he, with James Gunn? Um, 
especially uh, you know with the reception that the first one got and then the second one. So you know, I don't know. I'm probably not going to watch Bumblebee. Even if it was free, I wouldn't go and watch it. <laughs> well, John, um, John Cena's in ouch. it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. It's uh, it's up in the air at the moment, and it's probably a bit of a lose lose situation because I don't really think that there's much much wiggle room. It's an already established brand. Well, would uh, you like somebody else to be uh, attached to the helm? Yeah, I mean, one of the you know. Uh, Who's the guy that did Thor Ragnarok? He would be a, a, pre- oh, yeah. a pretty good mm. shout for something like that. You know, he's already established within the within the universe and stuff. I think just dropping somebody in who's uh, you know not really uh, done anything for Marvel before is would be a bit of a risky, Quite risky, risky shout. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Joel. Um, so another week, another bit of Ridley Scott related news. Uh, so Ridley has confirmed. Ridley, I'm on, I'm on first name terms. <laughs> um, has confirmed that another. Alien film is in the works, although rumours of a completed script have been refuted. Scott reportedly said, script? I don't write scripts for these things. I just fling my excrement at a page and go straight to filming. <laughs> Rid- um, Ridley Scott did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, he did. maybe I'm just imagining that conversation. Uh, seriously though, the script was reportedly set to follow Michael Fassbender's evil android David as he was chased across space by the engineers. So, Alex, you hated Prometheus as much as yes, I did. Yes. What do you think about this proposed addition to the series? Are you intrigued to see what comes, or do you just think you should burn it with acidic alien blood? Yeah, yeah, acidic alien blood all the way. Uh, I think how many alien films in total have been made? Like seven, maybe six, seven, if you include Alien versus six. Predator. Oh, yeah. Oh, five, to, six, eight, seven, eight. Eight. to let's say out of them, there's two good ones, really, isn't there? You know, there's Alien and there's Aliens. Alien there's, 4 and AVP 2, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's two brilliant ones. Two brilliant ones, and a lot of them are pretty, compared to the other, compared to those two, yeah. aren't very good at all. So at this point in the franchise, it's just going further and further down. So I don't think another Alien film is needed, really. I especially don't care about the character of David or the engineers. Like, if that was introduced in Prometheus, I, like, I didn't care about anything in Prometheus. So continuing that story... It's just I have no re- no way I'm going to go and see that. You know, if it was maybe it was totally different. Michael Fassbender's David wasn't in it because I just hated the, all everything that was in Prometheus. So yeah, continuing that story is a bad idea. Did you watch Alien Covenant? No, I did not. Oh, you didn't miss much to be honest. <laughs> like, one thing that I never thought that would appear in an Alien film is a sort of raunchy teen shower scene. Oh, good lord, really? With an alien in there as well. Oh, Seriously, yeah, lord. a couple having a shower getting a bit saucy and then the alien is in the shower as well it's like hi guys what's going on here oh by the way you're dead <laughs> wow so uh yeah anyway thanks for that um so yeah it's it's, it's one of those things i think that i think is going to be inescapable it's going to be unavoidable i think it's definitely going to happen whether or not it should is, is a completely different question then ridley scott himself has gone down a lot since gladiator really he hasn't done a good one has he maybe if he combines gladiators versus aliens it would be a decent <laughs> oh, yes now we got a movie there's your gladiator 2 strip right there so uh, hang on guys what's happened to your volume there no idea oh. <laughs> I've, I've turned my volume down that's what it is well, I thought, I thought that maybe we might should, we, should we move on oh no he's getting it he, he can't <laughs> can't let it go can he I sense chills down my spine every time I hear it <laughs> And you know what that is a call for. Dave, once again, yes. I mean, January's come early, apparently. You said you didn't want to have to do another one of these until the New Year's. Yeah, so. I really didn't. Unfortunately, though, 
it's time for your weekly obituary. Yeah, it's not coming weekly. Let's take the weekly bit out of it. Okay, I'm pretty sure next week there'll be one. Uh, the be- <laughs> uh, let's hope not. Let's hope not. But for now, it's with regret that we announced mm. that William Goldman has passed away. Brilliant novelist, brilliant screenwriter. Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge loss to the Hollywood talent pool, to be honest with you. And Alex, I know you are quite a big fan of his works, if you would like to yeah, no, relieve I really, me of this one. I, I always really like William Goldman. He's, he's sort of been in the... done scripts for a lot, a lot more films that you really like than you sort of know about, really. He also... He was massive in the 70s and the 80s, sort of had a comeback with The Princess Bride. The, books, the book of that's fantastic as well. He's a really good novelist. Um, so it is sad uh, seeing him pass, um, but he just—he has left behind a pr- pretty good legacy. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a lot of uncredited work, so you almost don't know what he's done with a lot of films because a lot of scripts got sent his way in need of a lot of rewriting, but he would do it uncredited. So a lot of his later career was uncredited, so you kind of don't know what he's uh, what he's had a hand in. I but, heard he, uh, he adapted Misery as well, didn't he? He did. He, he put he the did. finishing touches yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I think he pulled it all together it's like it been a bit of a nightmare before then but marathon man butch cassidy and the sundance kid that's the one that got him to fame yeah princess all bride men. all the presidents men mm-hmm. he also wrote a film that I really like um what's it called the ghost in the darkness um, it's a uh, michael douglas and val kilmer and one of them's a, a construction worker on a bridge and one of them is an old hunter, and they're trying to hunt down two lions that keep on... I've seen I remember that. that, yeah. It's a very bad film. You <laughs> <laughs> should not have brought it up. Yeah, it's terrible. I remember it being all right. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah I, no. I think that'll be a future one for films like Child, though, won't it? That's where Val Kilmer has an Irish accent in the oh, first scene. And then, and then obviously no one wants to reshoot it, but we're just like, stop that now. <laughs> right, okay, well ignore that, everybody. So moving swiftly on to Alex's film feels. You, you liked it so much last week. Just Fair enough. Um, so uh, it's pirate film, lots of sword fighting in this. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite sword fight in any film ever made? I'm going to go first because I know that Dave has the same one as me. Uh, uh, I've got a feeling anyway. Yeah. The Princess Bride, mm-hmm. linking it to William Goldman. Best. I love that fight scene. I just, I like with a lot of the film, as soon as that sword fight starts, it's just so much fun. It's... It's kind of like taking them, not taking a mickey out of sword fights, but it's kind of like parodying sword fights, but also just being one of the best sword fights in films ever. So I, yeah, love it. Dave, do you like, you're a big fan. Did I, I, did I, I would have gone yeah. Princess Bride to be honest with you, but um, I think in the absence of that, I might have to go with maybe a classic swashbuckling one like Errol Flynn versus Basil Rathbone in Robin Hood. Yeah, very good one. Very, it's probably one of the first, yeah. like proper one-on-one long drawn yeah, out yeah. sword fights. Uh, I'd possibly go for Rob Roy for something more contemporary. Rob Roy's a good shout. Yeah. Rob Roy's perfect. That's yeah, because the, yeah, it builds up to that basically. Neeson versus Roth, yeah. yeah. Roth is so good in that, isn't mm-hmm. it? And the ending of that fight scene as well. Brilliant. Oh, Dave. Brutal, but brilliant. <laughs> giving it to Dave. No, I've already given it to Dave. Joel. <laughs> Joel, you can try, but Dave's already got it. <laughs> well, you're probably not going to like my picks. Um, mine are two, well, laser swords, they kind of count, don't they? So <laughs> I'm going to go for, for Luke versus Darth Vader and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but, but if you can't give me that one, then I'm going to go for another controversial pick, which is a shit film, but I think the sword fight has actually done very well. And that was um, Achilles versus Hector in in Troy. No, that is a good sword fight. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that's like the best bit of the entire film, really, yeah. isn't it? It's a pretty shit film, but yeah, I'll give you that one, but not the laser sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lord of the Rings. 
No. Who, who, <laughs> who versus who, Gav? Uh, Barman versus... Uh, um, Barman. John Barman. John versus, Barman. <laughs> versus Dumbledore. Gav's out. <laughs> okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. You're welcome. Um, sorry, I, 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 I was just trying to think of a sword fight in a film, and the only one I could think of was the one that we were talking about before from Die Another Day, and that's <laughs> just, just the tip, just the tip. Um, okay, so on to the bulk of the show this week film as mentioned before is Cutthroat Island and it has been picked out of the hat at random it's actually one that a friend suggested is it not Dave uh yeah one of my friends Charlotte suggested this one to us uh I'm, I, I'm Thanks, not sure whether she, I'm not sure whether she likes the film whether she just wanted to hear a discussion about it I'm not sure which actually I do know which but I'll talk to you about it <laughs> <laughs> so um but Charlotte will be happy to hear that you will be defending this film. Yeah, uh, yeah, she'll, she'll be made up with this, yeah. <laughs> so all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random, and Dave is going to be trying his best to get this placed on the hit list. In the role of prosecution, trying to condemn the film to the shit list is going to be me. And just like real court advocates, Dave and I will be making the best case for our role. This may or not be our real opinion, however, so do stay tuned to the end of the show to hear our real thoughts on the episode. Um, so in the role of character witness and lending their genuine opinion to each argument to try and throw a little bit of extra weight behind it is Alex. Mm. Which means this week, Joel has the most important role as he will be playing the role of the judge. He must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Now this film is chock full of mindless explosions. So I've already got a difficult job of trying to convince Joel to put it on the shit list, to be honest. But before we get started... I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better idea as to what the film is about. So let's spin that wheel of impressions. So here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film this week. It's landed on Captain Dave. <laughs> and great, great. What, what do you reckon, guys? Uh, pirate, pirate. But I was going to say uh, Gina Davis. Pirate, yeah. Gina Davis. Do, do Frank Langella. Try and a do a Frank Langella. So that's kind of a, a raspier, more well-spoken pirate, or do you just want a generic yar pirate. Yeah, I think you. Like I like to a do well-spoken Frank. pirate. Would you like to do Frank. You want well-spoken pirate. Well-spoken Frank Langella. Button. Frank Langella pirate. Okay, so it's kind of like come to me, Morgan. Okay. A female pirate and a companion race against their rivals to find a hidden island that contains a fabulous treasure. I think I'm blushing. I think I'm blushing a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> a more, a more well-spoken do, pirate. Do, do the entire argument like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You've you come across all hot and flustered. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's Frank Langella has that effect on people. <laughs> okay, so without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Uh, yep. So I genuinely can't remember if I've seen this film or not. I've seen a lot of uh, piratey films when I was little, so. Uh, Gav, I've heard you want to go first. Let's keep the keep it tight. Keep it civil. Keep it civil. Okay, so Cutthroat Island is a film synonymous with failure. To this day, it is number two. Sorry, Dave's already laughing. Did did you think I was going to miss this up? No, no, no. You carry on, you carry on. I'll I'll tell you why. Okay, so uh, to this day, it is the number two biggest box office flop of all time, adjusted for inflation. So the inflated price that it's lost is $143 million. uh, Which not number one. Um, I, I can't remember now. It was a film in 2005. I think it was uh, Sinbad, like a retelling of Sinbad, maybe. The Disney one. Yeah. John Carter, was it? No, no, no. That, that, that's that up there. But... Yeah, it's up there, but I think it's in the top 10. But um, this, it not only bankrupted the studio that financed, financed it, Carol Cohn, 
but at best seriously derailed cast and crew members' careers and at worst completely destroyed them. The film follows the adventures of young pirate Morgan Adams. The film opens with her father being dispatched of by her villainous uncle, Dog Brown, played by Frank Langella, as Dave um, imitated before. As her father sinks to the bottom of the ocean, Davis, thinking fast, swims down and scalps him. Uh, takes off his head. She, she does not scalp him at the bottom of the ocean. Let's just get that quite right, well, Okay, she scalps him before he and then kicks him off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> as he has a third of a treasure map imprinted on his head. Morgan then frees a slave, William Shaw, played by Matthew Modine, and recruits him to help her recover the two other portions of the map held by her separate pirate uncles, which will finally reveal the location of the mysterious treasure of Cutthroat Island, all the while competing against Langella and being chased by the Royal Navy. So first things first, I want to discuss the plot, or lack thereof. It is so incredibly banal and paper thin that it completely runs out of steam long before the two-hour runtime. I mean, this is supposed to be a swashbuckling adventure with pirates. You shouldn't feel bored a third of the way through. Now, production of this film ran massively over, which is a contributing factor of it being one of the biggest box office bombs of all time, by the way. One of the main reasons that it overran was that director Rennie Harlan demanded the script be rewritten when filming was due to commence. This is evident throughout as it jumps from scene to scene with incredible awkwardness. Character motivations aren't explained, and characters just come in and out of scenes when the plot requires. Uh, For example, where were the Navy for the majority of the film until they surfaced right at the end? Where were the rebellious crew as well? But I'll go into more detail about all that in my second point. Set and scenery, sorry, is another reason the production was delayed. As Harlan, taking his eye off the ball to sort out casting issues, asked for everything to be rebuilt from scratch when filming was due to commence. Some of the sets look very impressive, particularly the pirate ships, but a lot of them look empty and soulless and just constructed to be blown up. I mean, which they are. Cutthroat Island looks like Joel's wet dream as directed by Michael Bay. Where story and dialogue is lacking. <laughs> it's left me a bit confused. I know, I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure if I'd want to see that. Yeah, it sounds to me like you'd love it though, John. <laughs> no, so like, where story and dialogue is lacking, Rennie Harlan inserts an explosion. What should be exciting and a big part of an action set piece happens so frequently in this film. They become re- repetitive and tedious. An explosion in a film, Joel, tell me this, shouldn't be boring. An overuse of slow motion as well stretches every action scene out longer than is necessary and greatly affects the quality of it. The big battle, sh- the, the big ba- sorry, the big ship battle uh, at the very end goes on for an absolutely ridiculous amount of time. There are hundreds of cannons and shot fired with little damage appearing on either ship for the majority of it. Tonally as well, the film is just very awkward. It doesn't know what it wants to be and it lacks any real identity. It's not humorous enough to be comedic. It's not serious enough to be a straight-up adventure film. Is this film aimed at kids? I mean, there's an awkward post-coital discussion, a drowning and a scalping all within the first seven minutes. I mean, is this supposed to be aimed for adults? The over-the-top performances, the PG violence and awful dialogue would say otherwise. All of these are evident in the final battle as Davis fires a cannon at her uncle whilst delivering the line bad dog because his name's dog i get it and instead of exploding into a thousand pieces he just gets fired out of the ship all of which takes forever to execute metaphorically and literally pirate films should be fun but this one leaves you wanting to walk the plank <laughs> Ooh. 
<laughs> Dave, your turn. Okay, the reason why I was chuckling is because I did anticipate some of this. Uh, the legacy of Cutthroat Island kind of precedes it, if you know what I mean. But I would like to dispel some urban myths around Cutthroat Island. Uh, number one being that it sent its production uh, headquarters into administration, Carolco. This is not true. Carolco was already in horrendous amounts of debt when Cutthroat Island was financed. Um, they actually fi- um, filed for bankruptcy a month before the film was released. The film couldn't have saved it, even if it had, if it had been a massive success. And I also, bet you it probably could have. It if that film would have made like 300, 400, 500 million. Yeah, well, if Godfather had made 300, 500 million. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's hard. You can't really blame Cutthroat Island for that. I'm sure it contributed, but it's not the underlying cause. You know, it financing Showgirls probably did Carol Cole more damage than Cutthroat Island did. Another misconception about Cutthroat Island is that it... It ruined the pirate genre. This is not true. Pirate films have been struggling in Hollywood since the 1960s, to be honest with you. The golden age of pirate movies was over. You just have to look at uh, Roman Polanski's Pirate, starring Walter, Walter Matthau. That was a massive flop in the 1980s, as was the pirate movie in 1982. You know, it, you might say this was a bold move from Rennie Harlan and from Carol Coe to make a pirate movie, try and do something different with it. And, you know, to, to wait, even if, you know, it did do some damage to the genre... He had to wait less than a decade for Pirates of the Caribbean to come along. So it can't have done the genre that much damage as a whole. You know, so this urban myth about Cutthroat Island doing all these horrendous things and, you know, ruining the production company, it's just not true. And overall, the film, you know, I see what Gav is saying about slow motion. I get that. It is used quite a lot. But it, it adds a little charm to it, to be honest. A little old-school Hollywood charm that you don't often get these days. Uh, and Gav says the plot is paper thin. I beg to differ. I, I think the script could have used a little finesse, for sure. The dialogue can be a bit wooden at times. But the plot itself is actually sound. You know, it actually brings a lot of nuanced things to the pirate genre that hadn't been um, seen before. Or seen since, for that matter. Like, you know, like, the, well, the three parts of the treasure map, you know, one of them being on Harris Eulin's head. I thought that was actually quite a neat trick. You know, he's got it tattooed <laughs> under his scalp, grown his hair out. That's how he hides his map. And that's why, you know, where is your map? He points to his head and it's like, it's up here. You know, it's a, little, a nice little trick. I thought you've never really seen that in a pirate movie before. And, you know, or you since. Do, or since. And, you know, it's... <laughs> For good pro- reason. Probably because of these these nasty rumours that circle around <laughs> Cutthroat Island. <laughs> but it's, it's actually the plot I really do enjoy. You know, it is a basic pirates on a treasure island sort of scenario, but with a hell of a lot of style and a lot of finesse. You know, Rennie Harlan is a fantastic action movie director he's behind Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger and films like these and he went on to do Deep Blue Sea you know his career was not ruined you know he did did Deep Blue Sea his career was fine (laughs) his career was fine I tell you just like Harold Coe (laughs) (laughs) it was already over (laughs) no Granny Harlan's career was not ruined by this and I see what Gav is saying about um, how the the budget spiralled out of control and it was it was because he was a perfectionist he wasn't happy with his sets and I disagree with Gav that the set seems empty and they were just there to be blown up. I do think the sets, the production design is fantastic in this. The sets look fantastic. The costumes look fantastic. The special effects are all right for their time. They look dated now, but at the time they were pretty good. You can see where the budget went. It's not like money was pulled into Cutthroat Island and you're wondering, well, what do we have to show for it? It's there. It's clear as day. It's evidenced. And I think, you know, it's, uh, it's just an enjoyable film. Roger Ebert said of this film. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here we go. Can, can, can I make one thing? Can we introduce yeah. Roger Ebert as the Roger guy, Ebert says. Ro- Roger Ebert says as the guy who gave the Tree of Life four out of four as well. <laughs> That's what I want him to be introduced. We've actually as. just been uh, followed on Twitter by the official Roger Ebert account as well. Well, they're going to love this. Roger Ebert gave Cutthroat Island three out of four stars. So you know, I mean, you know, Tree of Life is clearly marginally better. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, but well, Roger played. Ebert said. Roger Ebert said of Cutthroat Island. Cutthroat Island is everything that a movie named Cutthroat Island should be. What you get is what you what you see is what you get with this. Gav says it doesn't know what it wants to be. Knows exactly what it wants to be. It's an action packed, fantastic pirate adventure. That is all it ever claimed to be. That's all it ever tried to be. May not bring anything nuanced to the genre, but it certainly doesn't do it as much harm as may, many people would say. Okay, thanks for that, Dave. So, Alex, uh, what do you want, Gav? I just want to say I've got a bit of a metaphor for uh, Carolco's situation. So, is um, it above board? It is. It is. It is above board. Um, so, I imagine the situation at the time was like somebody who's just jumped off a cliff. Okay, so you've resigned to the fact that you're you're, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. That was them then, and then. Cutthroat Island came along. Cutthroat Island with the rocks at the yeah, bottom. <laughs> was the bone crunching, <laughs> devastating splat at the bottom. Like I say, I, I remind you, they filed for bankruptcy before release. This film could not have saved them. Okay, so Alex, what I want to know is are the ac- action sequences like a wet dream? <laughs> I'd say specifically like your wet dream <laughs> directed by Michael Bay. Uh, no, I, I I'm going to agree with bits of what Dave said and disagree with a little bit of what Gav said, uh, which are I think the actual sets like the the pirate ships are, are well done there. I was surprised at how well done the ships actually were. They're obviously real ships and they've not spared any expense, which you know probably is why the production company went into administration. Uh, the locations are quite good, and I actually thought some of the stunts, I found myself at one point rewinding to see a certain stunt where Gina Davis sort of rolls down the roof and falls into the carriage. Um, I actually thought that stunt and a couple of stunts were pretty good, but mainly I'm going to like agree with Gav. I think I did a bit of research on Calco, and it, I know what Dave means. It was, it was obviously in financial trouble before. It hadn't been a successful one, but this was definitely the final nail in the coffin. And, you know, yeah, it had gone filed for administration, but I think because production costs had gone so much overboard, it was insane how much they spent on the sets and locations here. And I agree with um, a big point Gav said, which is just there's no character motivation in this, so the film is boring, like, up through a lot of it. Yeah, they're hunting treasure, but all it needed was just, like, even just a few seconds where you actually got to know why the hell Ginny Davis wants the pirate treasure. I know it's treasure, so pirates want treasure, but if you just calmed down and you linked it in a little bit to the death of her father, you linked any of it in, really, it, it just sort of like, keeps going and going and going. And there's no real... Uh, you don't know any of the characters. It just gets going and that's it. So I, I did think it was a bit tonally odd as well. There are sort of high points of sound of like, mm, that's not very nice, and then a bit of comedy. So yeah, it, it's trying to do that sort of glib, ho ho, look at us, we're chased, being chased by the law. And then all of a sudden someone's getting shot in the head. It, 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 and it's, it's quite odd film in that respect. So I didn't, I, I didn't have that enjoying, enjoying, enjoyment of like a pirate pirate adventure. So is this aimed, who's this aimed at? I don't know, that's the thing. It's not kids and Do, it's what, not What people. rating has this got? Is this, it can't P- be PG, sure. It might be from the time. I would imagine maybe PG. PG. or it won't be any higher than a 12. Yeah, I'd, I would have imagined for, for what, if it may help at all, I watched this as a kid, I must have been about seven, maybe eight when I watched it and I, I loved it. PG. So I would say it is geared at, you know, kids around that age. You know, you wouldn't show it to like 
preschoolers or, or toddlers or anything like Gav that. Gav probably watched it when he was six months. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I watched it when I was like seven and I really enjoyed it. So I would say maybe my age or higher, you know, all ages, timeless. Okay, so uh, Dave, do you want to start off on your next point? Yeah, I certainly can. I'd like to talk about the cast and characters. We have got a fantastic ensemble cast in here. You've got some really talented actors. You've got uh, Matthew Modine, I just wanted to mention, uh, plays William Shaw. Now, Matthew Modine, I think, is actually a very good actor. I think he, um, he's, he's never really had the roles he deserved. And obviously, like Gav said, you know, the, uh, the financial failure of Cutthroat Island, it did set a few people back through no fault of their own, nothing against the performances they gave. It was just they were tarnished with this box office failure. And I would just like to remind you on that point that uh, financial success does not equal quality. And financial failure should not equal condemnation. True. Thank Necessarily. you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I just remind you the prosecution is the one with the soundboard? Right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just want to say, yeah, Matthew Modine, I think does a really fantastic job in this. I think he comes across quite charming. I know me and Gav had a bit of a joke, and I'm sure there's a slur coming Matthew Modine's way any moment now when Gav starts. <laughs> but for all in all, I think he gives a very charming performance. Very good performance, and he, he could fence as well. One of the reasons he got given the role is because he was already quite an accomplished swordsman. So they, at the time he was brought in, there had been problems in production, so they wanted someone who could actually require minimal training to do the demanding action sequences, and he was the man for it. And you know what? It wasn't just that either. He did a really good job. And in the other parts of the ensemble cast, Frank Langella, as the film's villain, Dog, who is Morgan's uncle, I think he's fantastic in this. I think he gives a really good performance. He's a stage actor by nature, so you know the man's got presence, and that is what it just oozes from him. You know, even in scenes where he's not required to speak very much, he's just got this very commanding, visceral presence. You know, he's a big guy, very intimidating in this, and I think he really brings something to it. He's more than just your average pirate villain. You know, there's something really more to him. And I think the uh, uh, Maury Chaikin, who plays the author, John Reed, I think it was nice to see Maury Chaikin again. I forgot about him see the guy who's in um he's in oh, shit he's in dances with wolves dances with wolves yeah. he shoots himself yeah. yes that's maury chaikin that's yeah. where i saw him from spoiler come on man. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it coming from the side <laughs> but, but he was in this he gives a very good performance i think patrick malahide who plays another of the villains the uh, the british governor ainsley patrick malahide doing what he does best playing a smarmy british aristocrat basically <laughs> but this is exactly what the film required you got rex lynn another great american character actor playing mr blair harris Eulin as gina davis's father and then finally got gina davis herself this was a fantastic opportunity for her it is a shame that the film didn't do so well but this was a great chance for her to become an action star you know something that rennie harlan who was married to her at the time really wanted to help her achieve because he knew she had this potential and i think it just it was unfortunate it was just a, it was part of the pirate genre to be honest with you that's uh, that's essentially why things turned so sour but uh, Gina Davis puts in a great performance. You know, she does everything that is required of her and more. The stunts that Alex was talking about were performed by Davis herself. She really came a cropper. She did herself a serious injury during one of them. I think she fell under one of the stagecoaches. The, the stunt I was talking about, that didn't go so well the first time she actually fell under the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah she really did, did herself an injury. So she really went all out for, for art. Yeah, in this case. <laughs> oh, for art. Spreading Alex, it very thick. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she gave this performance everything she had. And it is a shame that the film didn't make more money, but that's all it is when we talk about its failure. It's the failure to make money. And at the end of the day, that doesn't guarantee the film's success. And I see where Gav is coming from saying, you know, it ruined careers. I won't go that far. It tainted a few people having them attached to this project through no fault of their own. You know, the cast worked well with what they were given. Okay, very... Very good points. Well made, Dave. Gav. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> uh, okay, so 
the, I'm going to just basically expand a little bit on what I mentioned before and what Brucey sort of highlighted in his little segment earlier. Um, so the majority of the characters within this film are as thin as a single sheet of toilet paper, which coincidentally is what they're What brand of toilet paper are we talking? <laughs> like as in Tesco value toilet oh, paper, fuck. you know what I mean? Uh, which is coincidentally what their character descriptions were written on as well. Um, with the exception of Davis's Morgan, right? None of the character motivations are ever revealed. Why does Modine Shaw try to steal part of the map for himself? Why does he not betray Morgan later on in the film when we know how much of an arse he supposedly is? Why does Dog hate his brother? Why did the three brothers not come together and share their maps or split the loot? Why did the crew of Morgan's dad follow her after the captain is killed? And why do they revolt in the final act? Why does the author betray Morgan? And why does the Royal Navy make an alliance with Dog to capture the gold? And if Dog wasn't willing to share um, with his brothers... Why is he so willing to share with the Navy and Morgan's mutinied crew? You know, it just doesn't make an excuse. Like, there are inexplainable and unmotivated twists and turns. Then they, there's nothing there to progress the characters. It just leaves you scratching your head. I'm just going to talk a bit about Gina Davis. I'm really sorry to say this, but Gina Davis is just not good in this film. I mean, I, I really like the fact that she did a lot of her own stunts, and that is probably the only credit that I'll give her in, in this. And it's a real shame because a female-led pirate movie is a fantastic concept, but the script in which Davis had to deliver and the short time in which she would have been able to review and prepare her character really hindered her performance. And I know that this will have been the case because Davis is a very capable uh, actress. She's given great performances in films like Thelma and Louise, Beetlejuice, The Fly, which proves that it was the script that resulted in a performance more wooden than a pirate ship. Mm. Although her character is the only one with motivation or any sort of semblance of development, you know, find gold, beat uncle, win crew's trust, the lack of of character depth and Davis's lack of charisma mean that we never truly get behind the character. We are shown from the offset that she is some indestructible force. She's constantly being exploded, being thrown out of a window and shrugging off being shot in the gut like she just stumped her toe. So any peril that her character is placed in is just utterly unbelievable and we never think that she may be in trouble. Plus the dialogue she is given to deliver is absolutely atrocious and Dave there's no way you can come back on that point man the dialogue is something like a six-year-old would have written in fact a six-year-old would have been embarrassed to write that dialogue but so, moving on to Matthew Modine he had even less time to work on his character than Davis did and this is evident throughout now Michael Douglas was initially cast as William Shaw but he dropped out at the last minute as rewrites to the script had resulted in the character being a supporting role instead of receiving equal billing so Modine was hired specifically, as Dave mentioned before, because he was available at short notice and because he had fencing skills and the production wouldn't have had to have been delayed so the actor could go through rigorous combat training. Now, the character has all the appeal of a wet sandwich and flip-flops from snivelling shit to alluring love interest more times than I can count. What I imagine should have been this sort of Errol Flynn-like performance ending up becoming a poor man's Carrie Elwes. There it is. There it is. Poor man's Carrie Elwes. <laughs> now, the... Oh, so, the romance as well between him and Morgan is just utterly unbelievable. Um, now, I'm moving on to Frank Langella. Uh, he is the only one who came out of this stinking armpit of a film with any sort of reputation intact. I would massively disagree with Dave, though, about his performance, however. Yes, he is the best of a bad bunch, but in no way 
is it a good performance? He has fun with it, yeah? And it's obvious that he knew that it was going to be a mess from the get-go. He knew that this, this, this film wasn't going to be great, and he thought, I can have a bit of fun with this. And it gives him the opportunity to really, really ham it up throughout. He doesn't just chew the scenery. He devours it, then defecates it, and then, <laughs> and then hails it at the screen. <laughs> let's keep keep it pg (laughs) as the film goes on his performance gets bigger and bigger and bigger and ends up being more pantomime than credible but once again he has nothing to work with his character motivations are non-existent why does he do the things that he does it's never explained and his dialogue treasure at the end of it oh god his dialogue is is like if you thought gina davis's was bad like this there's one point where he's just shouting at the sky like it's it's unbelievable (laughs) as for the rest of the characters they're just there you know what i mean they're just in it like there's, there's nothing it could have been anybody in that film like in, in i was gonna say in a couple of years you won't remember anybody else that's in that film but i tell you in a couple of days you won't remember who's in that film like they're mainly there to be a stereotype or to spout a cliched pirate catchphrase or to get exploded they don't really add they don't really add anything and they're wholly forgettable as for the cast itself it is chock full of familiar faces as Dave was saying before you won't just watch this film and not recognize anybody you'll be like, oh it's that guy from that thing you know what I mean all of all of these guys were unfortunately relegated to supporting roles in tv shows after this because of this film because of how shit it is poorly written characters performed by ill-prepared and inexperienced actors and as for Gina Davis ah she blows. <laughs> nice. Oh, Gav, I nice want applause. Okay, Dave, have you got anything to say to that? Or? Yeah, I disagree with what a lot of what Gav was saying about motivation there. I think motivation is pretty evident. Like I said, I watched this as a child and I got it. You know, I understood that, you know, Dog had three brothers. They all cut him out of their grandfather's treasure because he was the black sheep of the family. They, you know, they, they removed him from the process. That's why he's bumping them off and taking their three parts of the map. That was pretty obvious. The British governor's motivation is evident. You know, why they decide to team up because he offers, he offers Dog a partnership, uh, a pardon, and the chance to become a privileged here under the crown you know he gets his, his crimes are exempt you know there is explanation for why everyone does what they do the motivations are there and i got that as a kid i really did okay alex it looks like you're you're ready to chip in yeah just on that point uh, yeah the motivations i mean it's not like the plot doesn't make any sense in the sense of you know why characters are doing something but they're not particularly nuanced motivations it's very cut and dry and like i say i, I it, the film was crying out for just a little bit of explanation for why characters are actually doing it it's just there's treasure pirates want treasure pirates go get treasure it, it, there's not a lot more than that a little bit i'm not saying loads of nuance you know because it's a pirate film but just a little bit would have would have gone really well uh just what they were talking about i agree with gav about gina davis it's not a good performance um gina davis i don't think wanted to be there for most of the film i don't it didn't seem like every scene she was in especially towards the end, it just seemed like she's just given up. That final scene when they've caught the treasure, she genuinely looks like she doesn't give a shit. Like, she just wants, she just looks <laughs> like she wants to go home. Like, she just, like it's really, really bad performance. Not even phoning it in. She just doesn't physically, she looks like she's physically there, but only, like, it, that, ba- barely that. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Who do you think had a better time? Bob Hoskins filming Super Mario or Gina Davis filming? I actually think Bob Hoskins. Because it sounds like Bob Hoskins got hammered. <laughs> uh, I, I actually did a bit of research as I was watching it because I wanted to see if Gina Davis... And no, she she actually was contractually obliged to do this film. So you, And you can see that. And I think the guy who did... Is it Remy Harlan? Her husband. Harlan, yeah, Her yeah. husband. Same thing. They, neither of them could pull out of the film, I think. They both wanted to sort of... Um, 
Yeah, cut, cut out of Cutthroat Island. Uh, Dave says, like, failure at the box office doesn't guarantee, but I think this is a good indication on this one. Like, it is a, it is, this isn't a good film. The dialogue's really bad. Uh, Frank Langella, do you say mm-hmm. Langella? I always say Langella. Langella. You know what? I mix it up. Okay. I'm inconsistent on that one. Langella, let's go for. <laughs> I think he, he's like an oasis in this film. Every time he comes on, you're just like, oh, thank God, someone who actually seems like he wants to be here <laughs> and like wants to do a good performance. And yeah, it is hammy and it is a bit pantomime and it does go over pantomime and you sort of, the fear of him, he starts off quite scary and he goes a little bit too pantomime towards the end. I mean, the last bit where he's shot through the ship with a cannonball. Oh, that's brilliant. It is a bit brilliant, in a way. <laughs> you know, it's like, bad dog. It's brilliant, but because at that point you are just, like, laughing at the film. You're not <laughs> You're not laughing with it. It's more just a punchline to the film. Um, so, yeah, I think on that one I'm, I'm pretty much with Gav all, all the way on that one. Sorry, Dave. All right, so I think we're pretty much sorted there. So we'll go to closing arguments. So, Dave, we'll start off with you. Yep, certainly. Cutthroat Island is a film that does not deserve the reputation it has. Its legacy has left the film adrift, and undeservingly so. It did not ruin the pirate genre, it merely left it as it found it, unfortunately. The cast and crew gave this film their all, amid horrendous conditions, and the number of problems on set and back at the studio which were out of their control. The fact the film that was completed at all is testament to Rennie Harlan's determination. The production values do justify the budget, and it's clear to see in the finished product of this stylish action movie, which provides the audience with exactly what they are promised. A great adventure story featuring lots and lots of pirates. Nice, he's gone for the pirate argument there, Gav. Pirates. <laughs> what have you got up your sleeve? And it better not be defecating or wet dreams. <laughs> There's a little bit of both. Um, so a pirate film shouldn't be about defecating in your wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> a pirate film should be enjoyable, not arduous. This film offers little enjoyment and instead feels like a chore getting through the overly long two-hour runtime. It was made just over 20 years ago, but looks and feels so much older than that. It says something when The Goonies, which was made 11 years prior, looks fresher than this. The entire experience is a hot cocktail of piss. (laughs) As the direction, script and performances leave an incredibly bad stink that is hard to wash off. The much maligned film is often cited as the major derailment for pirate films and is solely responsible for tanking the careers of everyone associated with it and delivering a death blow to the studio that financed it. Rightly remembered as a black spot on cinema, this film should remain at the bottom of Davy Jones's locker. (laughs) Nice. All right, well, that's that done and dusted. So I think, Alex, you've got a little bit of a a quiz for us today. I do have a quiz. Um, This is a quiz about, as has been mentioned, uh, Cutthroat Island did not do that well at the box office. I think, Dave, you'd you'd be happy to admit that one. Oh, yeah, Uh, of course, can't deny that. So this is a quiz about films that have all been jolly rogered (laughs) at at the box office. Thanks. Do you like the little link there? Uh, Okay, question one. I haven't got loads of questions. Um... The Adventures of Pluto Nash is a film that famously bombed absolutely completely with a loss, and this is in total over the lifetime, of 92 million. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it managed uh, to gain, it had a 100 million budget. It managed to get 4.4 million US gross and in a lifetime one of 7.1 million. Jesus. Uh, Which star who starred in it hated it so much that he demanded to be uncredited? I think I know, yeah. Well, uh, it's first one, first Randy one. Randy Quaid? Nope. Oh, Eddie Murphy? Nope. Yeah. Don't know if it's. Oh, no one's gonna. I can't name any other characters. Alec Baldwin. 
Ooh, Alec I Baldwin. He was in it. Well, that's why. He, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. It worked out well for Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, that's, he, he, he's done well. It's now back in the mix, so everyone knows <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin did it. Okay, let's get it trending on Twitter, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jiggly uh, is an extremely famous box office implosion, which dropped from UK cinemas just after one week. Um, ben Affleck and J-Lo's salaries combined okay, are a lot more, well, are more than the film's takings at the box office. How many more times do their combined salaries more than the actual takings? Uh, five. Seven. Four. Joel's right. It was three. It's actually oh, smaller, yeah. but three times. 24 million Jesus. was their one. Oh, I no. know, and wow. it only got seven. Right. Wow. Um, John Carter was such a complete flop, Disney went right out and bought Star Wars, but it probably holds the record for the longest time in development hell. What decade was pre-production started on John Carter? The 90s? Uh, 60s. Uh, 80s? Dave is correct. It was actually the 30s. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when the first idea, that's when it was started to come together. And then finally, after like some 70 years, they came out with John Carter. (laughs) If you would have been putting like a million dollars away every year from when you started working on it, you still wouldn't have enough that they spent. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Okay, next one. Uh, King Arthur. Did anyone actually go and see King Arthur? No. No, I listened to uh, a couple of podcasts about it. Right, well, pretty awful by all accounts. Uh, Charlie Hunnan lost a lot of weight for the last season of Sons of Anarchy. And for the audition for The Massive Turkey, that is King Arthur, he was asked by Guy Ritchie so many times by, about his physique that he offered to do what with the two other stars auditioning? Um, beat them in an eating competition. Uh, arm wrestle. Mm, some type of physical contest. I'm going to give it to Joel because he offered to fight the other two stars <laughs> <laughs> really? and then was given a role. Yeah. Wow. So, really I saw your off. face actually when Gav said beat. And you carried on for too long. Okay, uh, next question. RIPD was that oh. bucket of shit with um, <laughs> Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds. It's got 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but Ryan Reynolds, including R.I.P.D., has appeared in six films uh, adapted from comic books. Can you name the other five? Deadpool, Deadpool one and two. Yeah. Blade Trinity, Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, name the other. And uh, X-Men, Wolverine Origins. Yeah. Give it to Gav. Well, well done. Uh, okay, second to last question. Have you ever heard of the film Love's Kitchen? No. no, no, brilliant. brilliant. Love's Kitchen uh, starred Do Grace Scott alongside Michelle Ryan, Peter Bowles, and Simon Callow, and top of the list, Gordon Ramsay. Well, you never heard of it? No, no. brilliant. Uh, <laughs> right, to what to the nearest pound did it take in its opening window uh, weekend in the UK? In its opening weekend, what did Love's Kitchen take? Hundred pound, sixty-seven pound. <laughs> £300. I'm going to give it to Gav. It was actually £121. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Yeah, in its opening weekend. Unlike uh, Bridesmaids, which came out, which got £3.4 million. <laughs> so, Unlucky Love's Kitchen. And it wouldn't be a list of uh, flops without mentioning, I'm sorry Dave, Cutthroat Island. Um Aww. Mordecai Fingers, can't remember who played him in the film, but uh, was originally meant to be Oliver Reed. Uh, what did he do in this film to get himself fired? 
Oh, he, um, he got bladded, got into a bar fight, and then mooned Gina Davis. Yes! I thought, did he actually moon her? I thought he threatened to expose himself. Uh, allegedly, but I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. I All right, I think that means um, Gav won. Well done, Gav. Oh, thanks, thanks, man. That was a fun quiz, well done. It was, it was better than I was expecting, really. So. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> I, I hear it a lot. All right, well, I'm just going to cut right to it. Um, so, this film... I think sounds a bit like the pirate version of Suicide Squad from what from what everybody said. Uh some some things that Dave said I, I you know I agree with, but I feel like he struggled a little bit to to kind of count, counteract what, what Gav was saying. Um maybe I was kind of bedazzled a little bit by all the wet dreams and defecating. I, I don't know at this point. <laughs> but it is gonna go on the shit list and you know, I'm not really gonna uh, say much more than that. <laughs> So, genuine thoughts, Dave, did, do you really like it, or is it a bad film? You know, we've made some terrible decisions on the podcast lately, but um, that's come to an end. This film is absolutely <laughs> diabolical. <laughs> it's absolutely horrendous. I did genuinely enjoy it as a kid, but Christ, what was I thinking? I think it's the only way to enjoy this film. Yeah, I think as a child, yes. just, that's yeah. the only way. It's just, yeah, the script is horrendous. Gav is absolutely right on that. The performances are terrible. With regret, Gina Davis is god-awful. Frank Langella is just hamming it up completely. It, yeah, the, the score is quite good. That's about the nicest thing I can say about it. The music's pretty good. Mm. But other than that, yeah, this film was an absolute shipwreck. It's awful. <laughs> I didn't mind it that much. <laughs> I mean, no you, know, you know me, I like shit films. And yeah, this was true. like mindless, senseless drivel. But it was also a bit enjoyable. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the, the set pieces, the big, the, sh- the massive ships. Uh, you know, I, I thought a little bit of it was, was quite enjoyable. I didn't, I wasn't as bored as I thought it was going to be. I actually think the production of the film is more interesting than the film itself. Yeah. So I actually mm. found when I started, because I was bored, and so I started getting IMDb out, and I actually got into it, like, reading about it. And, yeah, it's kind of fun from a sort of a film buff's point of view, do you know what I mean? Because it's just interesting to see how they managed to smash that much money into something that was so terrible. But it, you made the right choice there, Jesus. It is a little bit crazy how they were going bankrupt, and they thought, you know, what's going to help us out here? Spending and bigger shitload of cash let's just spend a shitload of production of pirate <laughs> go out with a bang okay so higher or lower than our previous film on trial which was <laughs> Wolf of Wall, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street <laughs> Martin Scorsese directed Wolf of Wall Street lower uh, I'm gonna say yeah, yeah just just lower just lower Joel <laughs> I'm gonna go for a five middle of the road Oof. Uh, okay so you're all right unsurprisingly it is lower Wolf of Wall Street got 8.2 out of 10 on IMDb, and Cutthroat Islands got 5.6. So, not as bad as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. I thought it was going to be much lower. Mm. So, just a quick question, Dave. Your friend that recommended this, is she a fan? No. Is she not a fan of a podcast? (laughs) Oh, no, no, yeah. She's she's all right with us. But no, as far as Cutthroat Island goes, she knows it's a terrible film. It's enjoyable in a terrible kind of way, if you know what I mean. If you know what you're letting yourself in for. Like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, which is how she sees it. She said, yeah, her her one defining argument, because I asked her, how do I defend this? She was like, it was a really good stunt. I just go with the stunt. Just talk about the stunt. Far just that one that. stunt where yeah, she rolls down. Yeah, the that's, that it was is, brilliant. It's it a, a very stunt, good stunt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, she's not. She will not be heartbroken by this at all. This is uh, this is a fair result. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so before we adjourn the case, it's time for a little bit of a caption contest. So here we put a still of the film up on Twitter, and we ask our friends and followers to provide a caption. The funniest one of them will win a chocolatey frog shaped treat. <laughs> 
Okay, so the still I've taken is Gina Davis as Captain Morgan Adams on a ship pointing into the distance. And you guys have just got to pick the best one of these captions. Starting with number one, I am the Pirate King. And it is, is a glorious thing to be the Pirate King. <laughs> nice. It's day for you. Little, it, yeah. little Gilbert and Sullivan reference. Okay, yeah, nice. Pirates of Penzance. Okay, number two, scream, aim, fire. <laughs> uh, number three, we want the redheads. We want the redheads. And they've put brackets Disney World, so I imagine it's a reference that I didn't get. I'm sorry. Uh, number four, it's just doing this. Uh, oh, sorry. No, sorry. Uh, sorry, I got that wrong. Um, number four, I'm just doing this dumb film for cash dash g davis so it's almost like a quote i probably didn't read that out correctly i'm sorry and uh, number five run man run save your eyes <laughs> uh, number six iceberg right ahead <laughs> and the last one here is that'll be the hms calco prepare to sink her yeah, i like that one yeah i'll go with that one i'll go one. with calco yeah okay so congratulations to our good friends dear daniel podcast you have just won yourselves a freddo can it, sorry, there's just something that's coming to my mind about Cutthroat Island. I know it's the end of a show. Can I just jump in with it very quickly? Yes. You know, like, because I, I started laughing at the, this bit when, you know, like, she pulls her father out of the ocean. Yeah. And then he says, like, the great line, which I thought is that a joke, when he goes, like, shave me, <laughs> shave me, because the pirate, the treasure map's on his head. Yeah. And then without talking about it, she scalps him. You know no, I mean? she doesn't just scalp him. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't see what happens. We don't see she. she, she, she he didn't say scalp me, take, t- scalp me. She could have. She could have written it down somewhere, couldn't she? she? She made that choice. So off screen, all I can imagine is the father going, "No, no, shave me. <laughs> no, what, are, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? No." Sorry, I just had to. I just, it would have annoyed me if I hadn't mentioned it. Well, thank you very much for that, Alex. Um, so just before we call it a day, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our podcasting friends a brand new spanking podcast called the let's watch horror podcast uh, the first episode landed the other day and it was a review of rob zombies house of a thousand corpses and um, it's basically a show uh, featuring three friends rob rue and manny just chatting and reviewing horror films basically uh, i listened to it and i thought it was really really enjoyable i'd definitely recommend that you guys check it out cool and you can follow them on twitter as well at watch horror pod um, so as this episode was going on, the next film on trial has been picked out of the hat at random and it is Fantastic Beasts number two, the, uh, what's it called? Crimes, the Crimes of Grindelwald. Of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a wizard's button. I <laughs> Thank God for that. You, he's like, where's the wizard button? I was like, where's the wizard button? Oh, I don't Expelli have one. Expelli <laughs> uh, Okay, so the roles have also been picked out at random and in the role of defense, it's going to be Alex. In the role of prosecution, it's going to be, sorry, Dave, I got it wrong. It's Ozzy. In the role okay. of character witness, it's going to be Captain Dave and okay. Joel. And in the role of judge, it's going to be me. So just before we go, I just want to say thank you to everybody who has listened to this episode. You can catch all of our past stuff and our future stuff on any podcasting platform or on our website, filmcentral.co.uk. Why not follow us on Twitter at Film Trials? You can recommend a film and like Dave's friend Charlotte, we will put it in the hat and eventually put it on trial. Uh, while you're on Twitter, why not check out our friends Winston Sang and Ozzy Ray, that's our graphic designer and music producer respectively, at the underscore quirks and at Ozzy Ray. And check us out on all of the social media, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube where you can check out some additional content that's filmed on trial, any one of them. So, Without further hesitation, we will be in your ears next week with Fantastic Beasts 2, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.
Aussie, fuck you. Yeah, Aussie. Got a tiny dick. <laughs>